to In the Word with Pastor Don Haskins, where we open up the Bible to see what God's Word says and how it might apply to our lives. Our prayer is that you allow Jesus to change you from the inside out. And now, today's lesson. He says in verse 10, I'm not going to read the first nine verses, we did that last week, but he says, but I, Paul, rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again. Though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am in to be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. Now, you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and I abound. I'm full, having received from Epaphrodites the things which which were sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. And now to our God and Father, be glory in forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, but especially those who are of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Father, I pray that you help us to make sense of this passage. Help us to draw out a lesson, a knowledge, life-altering understanding of how we might take this passage, we might see something in this passage, we might be able to make it a part of a building block of the foundation of our life that would grow us closer to you, that would mature us in you, would help us to become more like the man or the woman that you want us to be. to reshape our thought processes that this world has been working triple overtime to shape, to be something that is not you, but to be something that resembles the world and not you. Refashion us. Renew us where we need to be renewed. Rebuild us where we need to be rebuilt. Strengthen us where we need to be strengthened. Construct us into that believer, that child of of God that you so desire. Remove us out of the way that we would not hinder the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives even this day. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Paul, he's writing to the church in Philippi. 
It's a church. Started there. Um, I'm sure we've already talked a little bit about this, but the church there in Philippi, um, if you were to look at this church, this church is a, it's a Gentile church. It's a church that is filled with the vast majority of them being Gentiles. When I say that, that means that um, there were two, basically, as you look at the word, they're basically two, uh, uh, you know, there's a division there. There's, there's a, there's a, the Jew or there is a Gentile. There's no different. I mean, there's, there's no, there's no others that are out there. You're either, you're either a Jew or you're a Gentile. And, and if, if you're a Jew, you are following the Lord. You're looking at the Old Testament law. You're looking at the law. If you're a Gentile, you look at it differently. What happened is that when Christ came, he married the two. He married the two to where Jews and Gentiles are equal at the foot of the cross. And so if you're not of the Jewish heritage, you're no, you're not a Jew. You're a Gentile. Well, wait a minute. I'm an American. Okay. Well, you're a Gentile. Well, wait a minute. I might be a Russian. <laughs> There's my best Russian accent. All right. Uh, okay. Well, you're a Gentile. If you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. All right. So everybody would be Gentiles if you're not, if you don't have a, a bloodline that traces yourself back to uh, Jewish heritage. And so in Philippi, it's the vast majority is Jewish. Why? Because Paul, we, you can go back into, into the book of Acts and you can find, I think it's in chapter 11, where you'll find out that, that Paul, he goes out to, in, on the, the Lord's day, if you will, or on, on the Sabbath day, he went out into, uh, uh, a creekside to have a service. Um, he didn't go to the synagogue. Everywhere Paul went in various towns, he went to the synagogue. Alright? And when he went to the synagogue, he was there to teach and, and he would, he would teach them. He would open the scriptures and what have you. But being that he didn't go to the synagogue, that tells us that there were no, there, there were not even 10 Jewish people in the town that were following the Lord or following their heritage because you had to have at least 10 people, 10 Jews in a town in order to actually operate a synagogue. And so that Paul didn't go to the synagogue, that he actually had to go down by the creek side. Not in a van, down by the river. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> he, he went to the creek side to preach Christ. And people came to know the Lord. People came to know the Lord. People came to know Jesus in that place, mostly Gentiles. Uh, go back to Acts chapter 16. We're going to look at at this the city. We're going to see the affection that they have and why they have an affection for Paul. They came to worship the Lord under the tutelage of Paul. I'm going to I'll begin in verse 11. Uh Paul Sailing from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace. The next day we came to Neapolis and from there to Philippi. So now we are where we are in the city of Philippi. That's where Paul is, which is the foremost city of that part of Macedonia. 
actually, I wanted to say one thing uh, about that, uh, about something that came just before that. In verse 6, I'm going to start in verse 6. I meant to start there. Now, when they had gone through Phrygia in the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. After that, after they had come to Mycenae, they tried to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit didn't permit them. And so passing by Mycenae, they came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now, after he had seen the vision, immediately we, Paul leading the group, sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now, here, uh, what's going on? Paul had a heart to reach people. Paul had a heart to, to reach out to people. And he thought, hey, I'm going to go to Asia, the Roman province area of Asia. And it says there that he was forbidden in verse 6, that he was forbidden by the Holy Spirit to do that. You know, did the Holy Spirit hold up a stop sign? Did the Holy Spirit, you know, put up a big hand and say, don't go? Did he appear to him in a vision and say, don't, don't go to Macedonia or don't go to Asia? We don't know how Paul knew, but it was evident that Paul understood that the Holy Spirit was forbidding him to go to Asia. How about you? I mean, there's times in your life and in my life where you intend to do something and you actually even in some instances intend to do something for the Lord and you think that it's going to be something good for the Lord. You want to do it with a pure heart. You want to do it with the right heart. But it seems like every single step of the way you're running into hurdles and you're running into roadblocks and it seems like it's like you're, you're plowing through such hard, hard, hard ground. And it's like, you're coming to roadblocks constantly and it's like you're beating your head against the wall trying to get to that place. Well, sometimes that's the Holy Spirit saying, hey, I love your heart, but this isn't the direction that I want you to go. I have a different direction for you to go. See, it's not a a, a, a magical or, or a, a, a word that comes out of somewhere or a sign that shows up on the side of a road, Don, don't go to Asia, go somewhere else. You know, It didn't come that way, or Paul. It didn't come that way. Somewhere along the line, Paul understood, you know what, we're going in this direction. I really want to go to Asia, but the Holy Spirit is forbidding us to go. I don't understand. I don't understand. I don't know. I don't know where to go. I don't know how to get. I don't know where it is that he wants to. Man, Lord, we've already started. We've already started on our road. He says in verse seven, after that, they came to Mycenae. They tried to actually, okay, if you don't want us to go to Asia, let's go into Bithynia. But the spirit didn't permit us to go there either. What's going on, Lord? I don't understand. Has that ever happened to you? I I know that. When the Lord called me out, it was evident that the Lord called me out of Calvary Chapel Bible College many years ago, called me out of the Bible College. I had a great job there. I had a great, you know, future there. I had, it was neat. I was able to reach really the world. We had people from all over the world come into the Bible College and I was able to actually teach and, and articulate or, or, or teach the word of God to people from all over the world. I had people from Korea. I had people from Iraq. I had people from Russia. I had people from uh, Germany. I had people from the United States. I had them from everywhere. Uh, China, they were from everywhere. But here, here's the thing. It was specifically showed to me. 
I truly believe in a conference that God called me out away from the Bible college. And, and when, when I put this to the Lord, I'm going, Lord, I, I, I like it here. I like being here. I, I, I don't want to, I don't want to go. I love being in this place. And, and the Lord just impressed upon my heart, you have got to go. It's time for you to leave the Bible college. It's time for you to go. Where am I going to go? It's time for you to go, Don. Sometimes the Lord will tell you to go and he won't give you the, the, the way to go. He might not give you the destination yet. All I know is that I believe that the Lord at that time, as I was seeking the Lord during that time of afterglow at a pastor's conference at San Diego Convention Center, I was sitting there going, but Lord, I want to stay here. And I, I really truly believe the Lord impressed upon my heart that here, here's, I'm going to give you some encouragement. When you say that you're going to leave, your boss, who was Larry Taylor at the time, will try to, he'll try to dissuade you from going. He will tell you, it's not of me. And I'm like, what? Come on. And I did. The next day, I went to Larry, sat down with him and said, Larry, hey, the Lord, when we got back to the Bible college on Monday, I said, Larry, hey, uh, the Lord, uh, I, I think that the Lord told me it's time for me to go. And the first words out of Larry's mouth was, that wasn't the Lord. I went, what? I, he goes, that was not the Lord, Don. You know, that was not the Lord. I don't know what was going on, but that wasn't the Lord. I said, man, Larry, just that you even said that I wasn't, that it wasn't the Lord was, that's exactly what the Lord told me. You said, he said that you were going to say, he's going, <sighs> You know, dang it, foiled again, you know. But uh, I knew that it was time to go. And I was going to go. I don't know where I'm going. He says, where are you going to go? I don't know. I don't know where I'm going to go. Next few weeks, I didn't know where I was going to go. I just put my resignation in. It was time for me to go. And I thought, well, Lord, you haven't given me a place to go. So here's the thing. My brother Dave had just moved to Muskegon, Michigan. I thought, well, most of my books have been a lot of my books have been published in a place called Grand Rapids, Michigan. And I looked on the Calvary Chapel directory and I didn't see that there were any Calvary chapels in Grand Rapids at that, at least on the list that I had. And I thought, I'll go to it. I'll go there. All these books are being published there that I read. It'd be great to have a Calvary Chapel there. So I'll go there. I'll go to Grand Rapids. Tell Larry, hey, I'm going to go to Grand Rapids. All right. That Wednesday night, Larry taught at Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa for Pastor Chuck. And he, he said, hey, I came down here with Don Haskins. He's the next uh, pastor of, of Calvary Chapel, Grand Rapids, Michigan, you know. And he's going to be taken off here, you know, in just a, a few weeks. He's going to go back and plant a church. Let's pray for him. I got prayed for at Calvary Costa Mesa to be a Calvary Chapel Grand Rapids pastor. Long story short, I was going that direction, told my family I was going to go that direction. And I had Lynette that a relationship was building and I ended up talking to her and asked her if she would be willing to go to, very long story, very short, if she would be willing to uproot herself from Calvary Chapel, Fort Lauderdale 
and move with me to Grand Rapids, Michigan. And she had moved out of Michigan. Her heart was, this is a free country. You don't have to live in Michigan. And so she moved to Florida instead of being in Michigan. But she said, I don't know, I'll pray about it. And that was a big thing for her to say. But as I'm driving across the coast, uh, across the whole country, to come back, again, I, I'm, it's a very long story. It's a great story, but it's a long story that I, I can't get into. I'm driving back to see Lynette and go to a wedding with, not ours, but a friend of ours, a mutual friend of ours. And as I'm, I'm going back to visit her, I'm driving through a state, and I call her and say, hey, you know, something's happened. I'm, I'm having to redirect my path, you know, to get to you. And uh, she gets on the phone. She goes, we don't have to go to Grand Rapids. We don't have to go to Grand Rapids. And I said, what? We don't have to go to Grand Rapids. There's not only, yeah, there's, there's already two Calvary chapels in Grand Rapids, and there's a third one starting. I'm going, what? She goes, there's already two Calvary chapels and a third one is starting in Grand Rapids. And I'm like, well, that doesn't mean that they couldn't use a fourth. That's a small city. I'm thinking, what, four Calvary chapels? The point of this whole thing is, is that I had planned to go to Grand Rapids. And the Lord, he stopped me from going to Grand Rapids. But But Lord, you called me out of Calvary Chapel Bible College. I was announced that... Calvary Chapel Costa Mecca. <laughs> Sorry. That's what we used to call it. Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa. That I was going to be going to Grand Rapids. I mean, doesn't that count for something? And the Lord was saying, no, you're not going there. I never told you you were going to go to Grand Rapids. You said you were going to go there. So the Lord put a stop to it. The Lord will do that to us at times. You might have a plan for your life. You might think that it's a good thing. God, I'm going to go there and I'm going to preach the gospel to the Grand, Rapid, Grand Rapidians. And, and he said, no, no, that's not where you're going to go. Well, I don't understand. I put my resignation in. I don't, they've already replaced me. I've already trained my replacement. Lord, what? I don't understand. And the Lord, he just said, Wait. And it was just within just two or three days after that that I was offered a job at Calvary Chapel, uh, Calvary Chapel of Fort Lauderdale. They offered me a job. I wasn't even, that was the furthest thing from my brain. The senior pastor over there said, hey, you know anybody that knows anything about Calvary Chapel Bible College? Mark Davis, the administrative pastor, says, I don't know, maybe... Uh, Somebody that has maybe a girlfriend back in Calvary Chapel, Fort Lauderdale, that might entice him to come also, you know. And I said, oh, shut up, you guys. You know, what are you talking about? Bob said, the, the senior pastor, he says, hey, go down to Mark's office. We want to hire you on. We want you to come in and, 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 and be our, you know, come on staff with us. Be one of the ministers here. And I'm like, what? I don't, I don't understand. I don't even want to come here. I don't even know who you are. I don't even know what's going on. Needless to say, that's where I went. God had a, had a plan for me to go there instead of Grand Rapids. Paul, I want to go to Asia. No, 
I want to go to Bithynia. No, I have a different plan for you. Guys, it doesn't just happen to Paul. It doesn't just happen to me. It happens to you too. Just because God puts a roadblock in your way doesn't necessarily mean that it's no to the overall plan. It just means that maybe it's not time or maybe it's a different direction he wants you to go. The idea is to keep seeking the Lord. Paul, he goes to sleep. And a man, it says, a vision came to him in verse 9, appeared to Paul, and, and, and there was a man of Macedonia there who stood and pleaded with Paul, saying, Paul, come on. Paul probably says, I don't want to go to Macedonia. It says that the man was pleading with him in his dream, so Paul must have been arguing with him in his dream. You ever do that? <laughs> Paul's arguing with this guy, and the, and the man's going, please, please come to Macedonia. Come over to Macedonia and help us. So Paul wakes up and he shares the vision with everyone and they go to Macedonia. Paul had, or God had a different plan for Paul's life. God might have a different plan for your life. God might, you know, whatever direction you're going, if God puts a roadblock up, it doesn't just necessarily mean no. It might mean no to that location. It might be no to that relationship. I thank God for some of the relationships that I thought would have blessed the Lord with the woman that I thought would have been the right woman. But in hindsight, you know, when it, when I look now and go, okay, now I look at that person, if God would have granted that blessing, I would have thought at that time, as opposed to what God gave me, I'm thanking the Lord that he didn't answer my prayer then. God has different plans for us. You know, we, we might think that we're going the right direction, but if you go with the right heart and you go with a heart that says, God, I want to serve you. And when God gives you a roadblock and you don't get discouraged, you just go, okay, I don't understand, but I'm going to stay faithful to you. I'm going to remain faithful to you. God will open up a door for you to go and he'll direct your path. He will direct your path. So many people believe that this man that came to him in a vision was none other than Dr. Luke, where we get the gospel of Luke. Luke being a Gentile saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And Paul sees this vision. And he goes, all right, we tried to go to Asia, didn't work. Tried to go to Bithynia, didn't work. Well, where should we go? Macedonia? Really, Lord? No, I don't want to go to Macedonia. I want you to go to Macedonia. All right, I'll go there. Therefore, sailing from Troas, verse 11, he says, we ran a straight course from Samothrace and, and the next day came to Neapolis and from there to Philippi. That was where God was taking Paul to go. Paul did not originally plan on going to Philippi which is the foremost city of that part of Macedonia, a colony. And we were staying in that city for some days. And on the Sabbath day, this is what we were talking about in the beginning, we went out from the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made. And we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. And so there weren't even men that were there. It was basically women out down by the riverside where Paul was preaching the gospel to them. There was no synagogue in the town. He was preaching to the women. They were the only ones that were seeking any kind of spiritual uh, influence whatsoever. They're there 
they listened to Paul. A certain woman, verse 14, named Lydia, she heard us. She was a, she was a, she was like Joanne Fabrics. This is Lydia Fabrics. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira. So she, she sold fabrics that was, that was a, a purple fabric. And she worshiped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us saying, if you guys have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she must have just, and Paul and his group must have said, no, 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 we don't want to impose. We don't want to impose. We don't want to impose. And she constrained us, it says, to do so. Now it happened as we went to prayer. Verse 16, that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us and brought her uh, masters, who, who brought her masters much profit by fortune telling. So she was like a, a psychic palm reader. She's one of those kind of people. You see them on the on the, the roads. Are they real? All I can say is the Bible says stay away from those guys, okay? Do they have a, an ability to see into, you know, spiritual things? I don't doubt it. I mean, anything, anyone who is influenced by Satan, Satan has the ability to to do some unbelievable things here on the earth. And so he can articulate things to you through psychic readers and palm readers. The word of God tells us to stay away from that. Why seek the enemy's counsel when you have the Holy Spirit who is far more powerful than any psychic or any palm reader that's out there? Stay away from them. They're being propelled and, and fueled by darkness where as you don't have to go and pay to go and hear someone, you can go and get in the word yourself and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. So she made, she made a bunch of people. She was basically working for people that were making money off of her and her possession. And when I say possession, I don't mean her possessions, but the possession of Satan upon her soul. The girl followed uh, Paul and us and cried out saying, these men are the servants of the most high God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And so here's the thing. They're out, she, they're, she's saying the right things, but somewhere along the line, look at what it says. She did this for many days. Do you think that Paul would, would think, hey man, here's our hype girl. She's just cruising through the town. She's hyping us up. People are looking at us. They're going, hey, these guys are servants of the Most High God, and they're proclaiming the way of salvation. What's wrong with what she's saying? Well, something's wrong because she did this for many days. But Paul, he got greatly annoyed, and he said to the girl, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out of her that hour. What did he do? He cast out a demon from this girl. She was, I don't know if she was doing it with a high-pitched or if she was just doing it obnoxiously, or if she was doing it however she was doing it, Paul was getting greatly annoyed that this person, who was fueled by none other than Satan himself, saying the right things, by the way, Satan can transform himself even into an angel of light. Don't believe what he has to say if it contradicts the word of God. It's the reason why you and I must know the word of God. Because Satan can can. Twist your twist the words of the word of God. 
he, he tried to do it with Jesus. Remember the three temptations of Jesus after he had fasted for 40 days. Command that these stones be made bread. Hey, jump off this high pillar. And, and, and I will give you everything. I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world if right now you would just bow down and worship me. And, and the three temptations of Jesus, Jesus always, Satan used scripture to conv- try to convince Jesus that what he was saying was true. Just because somebody uses a scripture doesn't mean that it's truth. The scripture's true, but the person might have ulterior motives. So be careful. What is the context of what this person is saying? What is the context? Does it bring glory to Christ? Does it bring glory to the Lord? Be careful of just listening to someone because they say that they have a word from the Lord. Test the spirits to know whether or not they're true. Test whether or not what is being spoken to you is correct or not. Oh, but it's scripture right out of the Bible, Don. You know, okay, what's the context? What is the intent? What's the heart? There's a lot of churches today that speak some word, but don't speak the word. They speak enough word in order to make it sound spiritual, in order to captivate people, but they leave out the heart of the gospel. Largest church in America does that. It's found in Houston, Texas. They don't talk about the the death of Christ. We don't want to talk about the death of Christ. That's a negative thing. Are you kidding me? Knock it off. Without the death of Christ, there'd be no salvation. Without Jesus Christ dying on a cross and his blood being shed for me, there is no hope of salvation for you or for me. I need to let people know that because that's what my Jesus did for me and did for you. But if you're being a pastor of a church and you don't propagate that, you don't teach your people that, what are you teaching them? I just want everybody to have their best day forward or whatever their best day now. I want everything to be positive. Well, that wasn't a positive day when Jesus was on the cross. We can't understand the 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 the, the reality of the good news unless we understand the reality of the bad news. The bad news is that you are going to hell. And God loved you so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross for you that if you believe in him, you would not perish but have everlasting life. That's the good news. The bad news is is that you're going to go to hell unless you receive the gift that God has given to you. That's not a message that you're going to hear at that church. It's only going to be, it's the positive things. I don't want to have the negative. There's too many negative things in the world and people don't need to hear the negative things. Well, you're not preaching the full gospel. So here's the thing. Don't just be swayed because someone says it's a spiritual thing. Don't just be swayed because it says church on the door. What does the word of God say? And so Paul, he's articulating the word. And this, these, these, these women, they get saved. And as they, they do, uh, or I'm sorry, as, as they're walking through the town and they're preaching the gospel, to people who would listen, there's this demon-possessed girl that's saying the right things, but Paul casts a demon out of her. When her master saw that their hope for profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. And they brought them to the magistrates, which were like the, the, the judges, 
and said, These men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city. Verse 21, And they teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or observe. And then the multitude rose up together against Paul and his gang, and and the magistrates tore off their clothes, and they commanded them to be beaten with rods. The two leaders, Paul and Silas. And when they had laid on them many stripes... They threw them into prison, commanding their jailer to keep them securely, having received such a charge that uh, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. And so here's the thing. Paul sees an event. I want to go to Asia. This wouldn't have happened to me in Asia. I want to go to Bithynia. This wouldn't have happened to me in Bithynia. God, you called me to Macedonia, and this is what you have for me? People come to know you? I did what you asked me to do. I'm now getting beaten with rods. I'm now getting thrown into prison. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? I did this for you. Would Paul have a beef there? Would Paul have an opportunity to sit there and shake his fist at the Lord and say, Lord, I did this for you and this is how you treat me? Paul doesn't do that. Why doesn't Paul do that? Why doesn't Paul do that? It goes back to our last week's message. I can do all things through Christ who think, who strengthens me. I've learned to be content in all things, whether it's been, I've been poor, whether I've been wealthy, whether I'm healthy or whether I am being beaten with rods, I have learned to be content Because I have learned that my life is not about me. It's about Christ. And I can endure all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can put up with all things through Christ who strengthens me. Why? Because it says here, look, it says it right here. Keep your hands there because we're going to go right back there. Paul says uh, in verse 19, My God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Here's what he's saying. Everything that you are going to need in life, and sometimes we look at that and we think, well, it just must be possessions. must be a a monetary thing that Paul's talking about. No, it's about everything. All means in Greek, all, okay? That's what it means. I looked it up. It's pos. The name is, in in Greek, it's pas, P-A-S. It literally means every and all, all things. My God shall supply. The word shall supply is, uh, is, is actually one word in the Greek, which literally means to be completely full to fulfill or to be completely satisfied. And so God is going to completely satisfy you everything that you need completely in all things. How? It's when your life is completely and totally submitted to him. Where we get off track is when we begin to look at our life based upon how it affects us. Paul's being beaten with rods. Silas being beaten with rods. 
I look at that and I think, well, maybe Paul's strength and Paul's faith is strong. What about Silas's? It's one of the things to be, one of the reasons why I encourage you and, and I encourage us to have a brother or a sister that is strong in the faith, that when your faith begins to get weak, you can lean on them. Because somewhere along the line, Silas is getting beat with the same rods. And as he's looking at Paul, he's going, he's fine in strength. He's fine in strength. Bam, bam, bam. He's fine in strength. I'm, and, and it, it helps even Silas to withstand the things that are going on. He's exercising his utter dependence on the Lord. Lord, if you want us to get beat, so be it. That's what Paul's saying. That's what Paul's life is being like. God will supply all my need. Right now, what I need is perseverance and strength and the ability to withstand this torture that we are enduring right now. God, I don't need money. I don't need fame. I don't need possessions. What I need is strength from you to endure this very next moment. You ever endured those crippling times in life? where things were so difficult that you're just going, I don't know if I can live another day. I don't know if I can, if, if I see a light at the end of the tunnel, all I see is darkness. All I see is pain. All I see is struggle. All I see is difficulty and pain and anguish. I, I don't see any life. I don't see any light. I don't see any rescue. I don't see anything that is going to help me. And the heart is right there that I would implore you and I would implore me and I would exhort you and exhort myself to say it's in times like that that you see Christ, that you see, you see God the biggest, the most, the more clearly that you see God in those times of intense struggle because that's where God, when you have nothing else to look at, when you have no other rescue to, to, to look for, you have no other recourse, and you have the Lord, that's where God shines the brightest. And that's what steals your faith. And I don't mean steal as in S-T-A-L. I mean S-T-E-L. Hardens your faith, strengthens your faith, makes your faith strong. Is when you're going through difficult times in life. They're not always going to be difficult. Could be, I don't, but typically they're not always going to be all difficult. Are you, are, are you willing to surrender your life? Because Paul, he's saying, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. God is going to supply all my need according to his riches and glory. So I can do this because God is going to supply me everything that he has according to his riches in order to endure or live, or be anything that he's called me to be. It says here, he says, they laid on these uh, many stripes. Uh, verse 23, they laid on the many stripes uh, on them, and they threw them into prison. And, and the jailer was commanded to keep them securely. And the jailer, having received such, the, such a charge as this, he actually made it safe on himself. Because if anything was not followed according to the magistrate's direction, the jailer would have to pay for the punishment that was being doled out onto the uh, the accused and to the judged, Paul and Silas. 
So he takes the safest route. He puts them, the second half of verse 24, he puts them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. But what does Paul do? What does Silas do? Do they get angry? Do they shake their fists at the Lord? Do they cry out to God and say, why? Why? Why are you doing such a thing? No, in verse 26, it says, but at midnight, the darkest time of their night, the most difficult time of their night, they're in prison. They have metal chains on their legs. They're in a cold, dingy, dreary, probably rat-infested prison. They have open sores all over themselves. They're bruised and beaten. I'm sure that their wounds are dripping with pus. It's painful. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were singing and praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. What? Getting beaten, thrown in prison? If there ever was a time for someone to shake their fist at God and say, you're not fair, today's the day. But Paul's sitting in prison and he and Silas are saying, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. And the prisoners are going, Are these guys nuts? Or do they know something that we don't know? They begin to praise the Lord. They begin to sing praises to the Lord. They're singing. They're praying God. They're praying and singing. Lord, I don't understand why we've endured what we've endured, but God, let it be for your glory. The prisoners are going, what? You should be mad. You should be angry. You should be cursing. You should be spitting. You're praying and you're praising. You're worshiping. You're singing. It doesn't make sense. But it made a huge impact to all of those in the, in the jail. So much so, that they listened to Paul. Listen, look at what happens. The prisoners, they were listening to them. Verse 26, I gotta hurry. Suddenly there was a great earthquake. Oh, you guys, if you don't know the story, this is a great story. If you do know the story, hang with me for a second. Suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were They fell off. That's some kind of an earthquake, huh? Kind of an earthquake would do that. Open the doors, not tear down the walls, not cave in the ceilings, but just open the doors and break the chains off of your legs. Break the shackles off. That's some kind of supernatural earthquake, I'd say. Now you're sitting there listening to this guy praying. God, release us out of here to where we can praise praise you and and preach the gospel into this city. God, you've done a wonderful thing already down by the river. You've done a wonderful thing in other people that we've shared the gospel with. And Lord, you have us in prison. Sometimes the Lord will put you in prison to preach to the people in prison. God put me in a cockpit to preach to some pilots in the cockpit. Where has God put you? Where's God put us? Wherever it is that God puts you, you are the preacher. You are the representative of Christ to preach the gospel. Oh, but this is a hard place to be. You have no idea, Pastor Don. It's so hard to be here. Paul got beaten with rods. His wounds are dripping. 
He's bruised, badly beaten, and chained in a wet, dungy cell to metal. And he still praises the Lord. I don't know if I could do that. No, but see that, I know you can't do it. And Paul couldn't do it. But that's what Paul was doing. He was praying to the Lord. God, give us the strength to to represent you. God, let someone. I I remember Tim Hamilton, Calvary Chapel, Lake Arrowhead, one time said said something a long time ago. And it stuck with me. And it's something that has stuck with me my whole life. He said, when you encounter difficulties in, in life, troubles in life, hardships in life, Ask the Lord, Lord, is it something that I've done that has caused this? That's the first thing you want to pray for. God, I I mean, if I've actually brought this upon myself, God, show it to me so I can confess it. I can get out of this. But Lord, if it's none of those things, if it's not because of anything that I've done, this is the thing that has stuck with me. He said, Lord, let not this suffering go for nothing. Does that make sense? Lord, don't let this suffering go for nothing. In other words, I'm enduring some pain here. Lord, let it bring you glory. Let it be something that that can benefit you and help me learn the lesson in the midst of it. Help me to know that you have given me the strength. You have supplied all of my needs according to your riches. That I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, even the difficult days. I know I'm focusing on the difficult days because, guys, I think we're, we're, we're in some difficult days right now and I think that we're only getting into more difficult days. This is a message I feel compelled to articulate to you, to prepare you as a pastor. I think I'm, to be a good pastor is to prepare you for what lies ahead of us in the future. Can you live by that, Lord? I believe that you will you will give me all the strength that I need in Christ Jesus, that I will be able to do all things in Christ Jesus who strengthens me. Because you will provide all my needs according to your riches and glory. You're going to do this for me. And so that's what happened. Paul put it to practice and God delivered. God will always deliver, gang. Look, great earthquake, foundations of prison were shaken. Immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awakening from sleep, can you imagine what that's going to do to him? What do you think? He's asleep right now. It's midnight. What has he been hearing all day? Worship songs. He's been hearing these guys, these knuckleheads in there praying. No doubt, probably praying for the prisoner or praying for the prison guard. God, pray that you bless this man's family. Are you kidding me? Quit praying for my... Have you ever done that to somebody, prayed for him? And they said, I don't want your prayers. I'm going to pray for you anyways. (laughs) He, he, He continued to pray. Keeper of the prison, awakening from sleep. He's seeing the prison doors open and he supposed that the prisoners had all fled. He drew his sword and he was about to kill himself. Why? Because he knew it was going to be torturous to himself. If all those prisoners were gone, the magistrates would come back. He was going to pay for all of their all of their escapes. He was going to die. And so he says, hey man, I'm going to just end it 
on my own terms. I'm going to kill myself. And as he's about to kill himself, Paul says, Paul with a loud voice said, Do yourself no harm, for we're all here. He didn't say Silas and I are here. He says, we're all here. All the doors are open. All the prisoners' chains are off. They all have the freedom to run, but every one of us are still in our chain, in our, are still in our cells. We've not run. Paul, because of his difficulty that he was going through, because of his reliance and his dependence upon the Holy Spirit through the midst of it, because of his demeanor as he went through the difficulties that he was going through, as he was praising the Lord and praying, singing hymns, as he was doing that, it affected people. And I believe that there were many people, many prisoners in that jail who either got saved or were on the verge of being saved. And this jailer, they didn't do anything. They didn't run. They didn't get out. They didn't escape. What they did is they stayed right where they were because of the influence that Paul had upon their lives. And Paul says, hey, do yourself no harm, Mr. Philippian jailer. We're all still here in ourselves. We haven't gone anywhere. And look at the impact that it made on him. The jailer, verse 29, he says, uh, he called for a light. He ran in and he fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. I've been listening to you guys all day long. I've been hearing this. You've prayed for me. You've prayed for my family. You've prayed for these prisoners. You pray. You should be cursing us. You should be cursing the magistrates. You've been praying for them also. You've been praying for us to get saved. You've been praying that this ordeal would go, that this suffering would not go for for naught. God, Paul, Silas, look what it says. He brought them out. He fell fell down trembling before Paul and Silas and he brought them out of their cells and he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? The impact that their difficulty had upon a free man when they weren't free set this man free for all eternity. Here are two men in an earthly jail and here's a man on the outside in a heavenly jail or a, at an eternal jail, because he's going to go to hell. God opens the door of the earthly jail in order to open the door of this eternal jail that this guy's in. And he, he gets saved. So they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. It doesn't mean that just because the Philippian jailer believed that all of his household was going to be saved. It just means that, hey, if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you, your household, anybody who believes on the Lord Jesus, they're going to be saved. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night. He washed their stripes. He immediately, uh, and immediately he and all of his family were baptized. And when he had brought them to his house, he set food before Paul and Silas and he rejoiced having believed in God with all of his household. And when it was day, the magistrate sent the officers. I got to hurry. They sent the magistrate or the officers. The magistrate sent the officers saying, hey, let those men go. And so the keeper of the prison reported these words to Paul saying, hey, uh, uh, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Now, therefore, depart and go in peace. Don't you think that's a good thing? Hey, wait a minute. God, you put us in jail to save these guys and the jailer and his household. Wow. And now you're setting us free. All right, we're free. I would be running out. But Paul didn't do that. Look what Paul says. The officers, uh, uh, Paul says, 
said to them, wait a minute, they have beaten us openly, uncondemned Romans, and they've thrown us into prison, and now do they put us out secretly? No, indeed, I'm staying in prison. What? Nope, I'm going to stay right here. Let them come down themselves and get us out. Let the magistrates come down. And the officers, they went back to the magistrates and told the magistrates, and the magistrates were very afraid when they heard that Paul and Silas were Romans. And then they came and they pleaded with Paul and Silas and they brought them out and asked them to depart from their city. And so they went out of the prison and entered the house of Lydia. And when they had seen the brethren, they encouraged them and they departed. The birth of the church in Philippi. Here's what Paul did. Why didn't Paul just go out? What was behind the scenes going on here? It says that they were uncondemned Romans. Here's the, here's the idea. I got to hurry. Uncondemned Romans are this. You cannot beat an uncondemned Roman. Paul and Silas were uncondemned. They beat them anyways, and they threw them in prison. They didn't have a trial. They just said, I'll beat them, put them in prison. And then all of a sudden, word came back to them, hey, these guys are Romans. And, and, and here's the thing, a little insight of the story that happened a little bit earlier. Paul says, hey, I'm, I'm an uncondemned Roman. You beat me? And the one who threw him in said, hey, I paid a large sum of money to become a Roman citizen. How did you become a Roman citizen, Mr. Paul? Paul says, I was born one. I didn't have to pay a dime. I was born a Roman citizen. And this guy's freaking out. He's going, oh, uh-oh. We are in some major, major trouble because now not only will they lose their jobs, they'll lose their lives. That was the law. You beat an uncondemned Roman, you're done. You're dead. Not only is your career gone, but you're dead. That's why these magistrates, that's why Paul, he says, no, 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 no. You don't come here. You beat me openly in front of everybody. And now you let me go secretly. No, 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 no. You guys come down here. I want to look you in the eyes. I love Paul here. Here's here's what I personally believe his reason. A church was started. They've already shown major hostility towards Christians. And Paul said, look me in the eyes. Know this. I'm watching you. You beat me, an uncondemned Roman. There's a church that started here in town. You best not mess with my, with my, with my peeps. Don't mess with these guys. You leave them alone. You leave them alone. They were afraid and they sent Paul out. So when we go back and we look in Philippians chapter 4 and we see that this church had such a love affair with Paul, you understand that Paul, he loved these guys tremendously. He set a foundation there where the church was going to be able to blossom and grow and Christ was going to be preached in Philippi at least for the rest of the lives of those magistrates that were in, in town. It was a great opportunity. And all it took was for Paul to be arrested, beaten, and thrown into prison. Guys, look at your own life. You're going to encounter times in life. I'm going to encounter a lot of times in life where we're going to go, what is going on? What is happening here? Why is this going on? Paul said, listen, 
I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. Right? We know that. A couple verses, a couple chapters later, Paul is going, "Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to Rome." Agabus was a prophet. He comes up and he takes Paul's belt off of him. That could be kind of weird, but he goes and grabs Paul's belt and he ties himself up and he goes, hey, the man who owns this belt, this is what's going to happen to him there when he goes to Rome. Paul says, what do you guys mean? As he's leaving their Ephesus, he's saying, I'm not going to see you guys anymore. What do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? They were trying to convince Paul not to go to Rome. Agabus, even the prophet says, you're going to go and get, you're going to be arrested. You're going to be tied up. You're going to be, you're going to be, incarcerated you're gonna die paul please don't go look what he says don't look it up you can look it up later it's in acts chapter 20 he had said you know what do you mean by weeping and, and 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 breaking my heart he says listen from the first day that I came into Asia in what manner I've always lived among you serving the lord with all humility with many tears and trials which happened to me by the plotting of the jews and now I and how I kept back nothing that was helpful, but I proclaimed it to you and I taught you publicly from house to house, testifying to the Jews and also to the Gentiles, repentance towards God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, see, I go bound in the Spirit. He's saying, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things which will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit has testified to me that in every city that I go to, chains and tribulations await me. I'm going to have a hard life, but this is what God has called me to. I'm going to trust him with it, for my God shall supply all my need according to his riches and glory. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I will be content in all things. That's Paul. That's his heart. He says, only that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But, I love this. This is a Newt Rockney speech right here, guys. This is a, this is a, 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 a fire up message right here from Paul. He says, but none of these things move me. These chains and tribulations, these things don't move me. Nor do I count even my own life dear to myself so that I may finish my race with joy. And the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God and need. And indeed, now I know that you all, among whom I have also preached, uh, gone preaching the kingdom of God, that you're not going to see my face anymore. I know that this is the last time we're going to see each other. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. What he's saying is I'm innocent of your blood. I've told you everything. I've, te- I've taught you everything I know. I've preached. I've poured my heart out to you. I, I, I'm going to speak for Kevin, Pastor Kevin on this. That's what we try to do every week. We try to pour our heart. We try to not let keep anything back because one of the reasons I go along all the time, I get very little time with you. I'm going to give you every single thing that I can give you and every little bit of morsel time that I have with you. I want to give you it all. I want to give you everything that I can to prepare you in an, you know, an hour and a half message or an hour and 15 minute message for you to go and, and, and live in the world for the rest of this week. I try to give it to you all. That's what Pastor Kevin's trying to do. We want to give you everything you can do, everything that we can give you, everything that we have to impart to you so that you can go and live this life. And it's not about us. It's not about our knowledge or anything like that. It's about 
We take this job, we take this pulpit very seriously. Guys, be on the watch, be on the lookout, surrender yourself to Christ. Be there. Don't count your, your life dear to yourself. Paul says, I don't count my life dear to myself. But this one thing, that I may finish my race with joy. Let's finish our race with joy, knowing that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me because God is going to supply all of my need according to his riches in glory. Doesn't mean that he's going to just deposit $10 million in your account. Doesn't mean that he's going to give you material wealth. Doesn't mean that he's going to make it easy for you for the rest of your life. It just means that he's going to be there with you and give you the strength to get through and give you the ability to get through every single thing you're going to need to get through in life in order to bring him glory. Are you willing? Are you ready for that? Are you up for that? Is that okay? Is that good enough? If we could only see eternity through the eyes of eternity, we would wholeheartedly say, absolutely, that's enough. It is enough. Gang, live for Christ. No matter what you go through in life, live for Christ. Go through a difficult time. Okay, somebody needs to hear Jesus through your difficult time. Jesus cause a change in you today? Or do you need prayer? We'd love to hear from you. Please contact us by visiting our website at calvarychapelcf.com or call our office at 941-926-3717. That's 941-926-3717. Again, thanks for listening to In the Word with Pastor Don.